Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So we are journeying through the nativity story, and only the gospel account of Matthew has the arrival of the visitation of the Magi, this literate, uh, celestial loving group of men. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the things that we associate are, come to us not necessarily from the text, but more from the culture, sometimes in church and sometimes without of the church, outside the church's walls. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, we can certainly look and see. There are plenty of things that we say and do that aren't necessarily scripturally accurate. But today might be a good day to figure out, well, what does the text actually say versus what do we kind of default to because of what we've been told or seen or heard. And this actually comes because last year when we were still able to gather on Epiphany, I was surrounded by a group of very rambunctious, precocious, and very wise children. And as we were going through the people of the Nativity and talking about what happened to them before, during, and after the birth of Jesus, we got to the point where I thought we were done and one of the kids said, well, what about Herod? Well, that's a too big of a thing to talk about in children's time, so I carefully sent them on to children's worship. But it has been planted in my mind ever since that perhaps we should talk about Herod. Herod has a huge role to play and grants us some incredible insight. So we're going to talk about that today, what really did happen to Herod. And of course, when we see what happens to Herod, we understand why that's not part of the nativity reenactment with children. Can you imagine if we had a bunch of children acting out the slaughter of the innocents? I don't think that would go very well. At least we won't be doing that in any church I'm overseeing. Maybe that happens somewhere else, but I'm not going to encourage the children to kill each other. I spend all the rest of the year encouraging them not to kill one another. We're not going to do that on Epiphany. But instead, what we find is that the story is very complicated. It seems so easy, right? Uh, just suddenly three guys show up. However, you might notice that at no point in the text did it say that there were three of them. Chances are there were more of them. Almost all of the monarchy in those days had this group of literati, scholastically educated, literate people who were in charge of various facets of the political and religious life. Herod had it his own. He called together the chief priests and the scribes of the people. That was his literati, his wise men, and asked them questions because they were the ones that were to know what their holy text said. But what's interesting is that the Magi probably came from Persia, and the Persian Empire had taken over for Babylon, and the Babylonians had a lot of bad things that they did, but one of the things they did was catalog things in their library. And with all of the Jewish leadership that had been taken into exile, quite often they preserved texts that had come with them. And they were writing these texts over and over again in the 70 years that they were in exile. So it's quite possible that in their library that the Persians inherited were the texts about the prophecy of the Messiah. And our text in Matthew cites multiple prophets, Jeremiah, Micah, Samuel, you find many of these being cited and including the one that we did for our gathering liturgy from Hosea. 
that out of Egypt would come the Savior. Not because our Savior is Egyptian, but as we see here in Matthew, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus must flee to Egypt in order to avoid being slaughtered at the hands of Herod. And so we have all of these prophetic truths that come together for us rather profoundly in the gospel account of Matthew. But they show up with three gifts, and sometimes what we tend to do is assume, well, three gifts meant three guys. But really, they probably showed up with multiple chests that were probably larger than this, and they were able to give these incredible gifts, which are exactly what God needed them to do. Because as you know, once Herod finds out that the wise men are not coming back to report to him where the Christ child can be found, he decides to take matters into his own hands. And we're left going, why would an adult, a king, try to kill a child? And that's because, like most adults, we have those moments where we're afraid of things changing. We're afraid that there could be a shift in our power and our authority, our comfort, our livelihood. And because of that, Herod lashes out. But the text says that it wasn't just Herod that was afraid, but all of Jerusalem. For the capital had become a city that was very wealthy and prof profitable from the relationship that their vassal king Herod had with the Roman Empire. And those people had gotten very comfortable in their wealth and in their greed, and they didn't want things to change. A new king meant new advisors, new ways, perhaps even reforms like King Josiah. Instead, they wanted things to stay exactly as they were, re disregarding the fact that most of the people outside of Jerusalem were suffering and were impoverished and were yearning for their Messiah. So they joined Herod in the desire to stomp out this messianic prophecy before it had time to take root and grow into adulthood. And they did. When Herod figured out that the wise men were not coming back to tell him where he could find the child that he didn't want to pay homage to, but instead kill, Herod decided to cast a wide net and kill all of the children, not just in the city of Bethlehem, but outside, if the family had found an additional place to rest and to call their home. And having gauged exactly what time the star rose and when it was, saw, when it was seen by the Magi, Herod calculated that in order to be sure that he killed the Christ child, he had to kill every child from the age of two to newborn. And that's what they did. And we don't talk about this very often because it's horrific. It's a horrible text. Why would we want to talk about this? But we have to talk about it because it's in the scriptures. And it's in there for a very good reason. This is the second time that there has been a mass genocide of the children in the scriptures. The first was when Pharaoh looked out and saw the Israelites growing in number and becoming very prosperous in his own nation. And when he looked out along with the Egyptians by his side, they feared that their numbers would get so large that they would take over and change things. And so they decided to plot their own infanticide. And so the idea was that if they killed every male age two and under, then there would be a generation without enough males for the Israelite daughters to wed. And so they would marry into Egyptian society, and their people would become assumed by the Egyptian people and their culture, including their pervasive religion. That they would lose their identity and their uniqueness, and instead they would no longer be a threat because they would become part of us. But that was not what God had intended. And Pharaoh's plot 
is the catalyst for the story that we have about Moses. That's why Moses' own mother has to take him and put him in the basket and trust him into the waters of the Nile. But God is watching, and God was able to work so that Moses would be rescued from those waters. Moses would be found from one within Pharaoh's own household, raised in the palace, and the story will continue from there. God is just as present and is working through the providence to keep Jesus and his family safe and alive. In providing the gifts that the wise men bring, in the middle of the night in a dream, when Joseph is told, get up and take the child and his mother now, you must go to Egypt. Very few of us could think about relocating to a new country in the middle of the night. Most of us would have to take time to put our house on the market. We would have to pack things up. We would have to have yard sales and get rid of stuff we didn't want. But here, they had to immediately go. And so they had already acquired a house. I don't know if you caught that in the text, that the Magi show up to a house where Mary is at with the child. Joseph's not there. Maybe he's out working. Maybe he's run to the store. Who knows? But Joseph's not there. And Mary has this experience with the Magi, bringing these gifts and falling on their knees and worshiping her child. And then Joseph gets the news that because of this arrival, the child is now known and people are searching for him to destroy him. So Joseph has to get up and take these gifts, which can be quickly liquidated and used to not only fuel their, mu their move and their immigration to Egypt, but to help them stay there. And scholars differ on how long, but anywhere between a month, six months to a year, this family had to live in a foreign land, having only these gifts to sustain them. Unfortunately, there's no way that they could put them into the biblical equivalent of a retirement plan or 529 account. It wasn't to save, save for Jesus to go into ministry. Instead, it had to be used then. And then it had to get them back to their homeland. And once more, Joseph is attuned to the word and the call of God. Coming back, he recognizes that things are not looking good with Herod's son on the throne in Bethlehem. So he decides to go to a little rural backwater region known as Galilee and settles into a small town called Nazareth. And there, Jesus will grow from a child to a teenager to an adult and continue our experience with Emmanuel, God with us. But the story is important because Herod, like all adults, reaches that point where you have a certain amount of power and authority. And you have to choose how you're going to use that power and authority. Joseph used his role and his position in his own family and household to be a protector and to keep them safe and to make sure that he knew what God's will was, not just for him, but for Mary and Jesus, so that all of them could be together and be safe. It was his job to listen and to answer those calls faithfully, and he did. Some of you may be aware that Joseph is the patron saint of immigrants, that he is the one that understands what it is like to want to protect your family and give them the very best, and that in less than ideal circumstances, you might be forced to flee your homeland, the place that you know and you love, where your family, your friends, and your people are, in order to provide safe sanctuary for your family. And that's just what Joseph does. They go to a land that they themselves have never known, to a people that have uh, not been very kind to their own people historically or biblically. 
but they do it because that's what God has said to do. And many of us wrestle when we get that call and that nudging, that urging of the Holy Spirit to go in a new direction and do something different. And we wonder, is that what we should do? Perhaps it's safer to stay where we are. Maybe things will be fine if I just write it out right here. But often God is trying to lead us to a new place, not just to accomplish God's will for God's people, but to accomplish God's will for us. It was vital that Joseph heed God's warning and go to Egypt, not forever, but for a time. And in doing so, not only is the prophecy fulfilled, but also Jesus is safe. And they will go back to their promised land. They will go back to Israel, to a new part of Israel. And there they will get to plant their roots, continue their family. And Jesus and his siblings will grow to adulthood. And the story and the gospel will continue. But if Joseph had waited, if Joseph had tarried, if Joseph had spent too much time trying to figure out what it was that God wanted and whether or not he should do it, quite possible that the story would have ended before it ever really began, that Herod would have found them, or that Herod's spies would have been able to track them wherever they went. But because of his willingness to not only know God but receive God, Joseph is able to save the family. And once more, he plays a vital role in the ability of Christ to not only be born, but to become our Messiah to rise into the adult who will give us not just the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, but the Christ who will show us healing and unconditional love, the one who will give to us those incredible means of grace and sacraments that we know of as Holy Communion and Baptism. He will have his opportunity to show unmitigated love and salvation to all of the world because Joseph, Mary, and the Magi we're all open and attuned to what God had to say. And it took all of them doing their part, playing their role in our story in order for that to happen. If any one of them had not been as faithful, even in the midst of uncertainty and in some cases the threat of harm, perhaps our story wouldn't be as wonderful as it is. It's just possible that we might have lost some of them we might have lost the one that we hold so dear. And so for us, as we continue, we are given the opportunity to recognize that all of the adults in the nativity are there to honor, to encounter, and to guard a child. That is perhaps one of the most profound things that we learn, that there were so many adults who lost their children in the slaughter of the innocent at Herod's hand. And yet, because some who were not even of the household, much less of the people of Jesus and his family, were willing to come and do their peace. This child could live. Now, maybe it doesn't feel that dramatic to us now, but when we are a people who are called to share the gospel truth, perhaps it's not their literal life, their physical life, that is threatened. But certainly every adult has a part to play in the spiritual and emotional life of children, children that are not of our wombs and of our loins, children that are not of our household and our family line, but children who are most certainly of the line of God. For we ourselves were once children, and we are growing into adulthood. And now, like those adults of the nativity, it's our opportunity to do what we can to guard and protect children, 
to make sure that they get to hear the story and experience the love and the grace that it embodies. This is our call this day. But we are also in a position to begin to reflect as there is a transition already begun, inaugurated, as we are looking at what the future will look like in 2021. What will the church, what will discipleship, what will our households and our world look like as we hope to emerge from this isolation of the pandemic? And what role will we have to play? It's astounding to think that decisions that we make as individual Christians can truly guide and guard or affect and hurt others in ways that we wouldn't think that we would do. But we have that opportunity to always be thinking. If we were an adult in those days and we had the opportunity to look at a family that was struggling and in need and trying to do their very best by their firstborn, how would we respond? Would we show them that same incredible grace and patience, kindness and compassion that the shepherds and the magi showed to Mary and Joseph and Jesus? Or will we become consumed like Herod and the people of Jerusalem with our own needs, our own wants, our own power and privilege, and our contentment in the way things are? We are a people who exist because God decided to do a new thing in Emmanuel. We are also a people who have experienced God's radical love, unparalleled forgiveness, and continued transformative grace. And because of that, we are given the opportunity to continue the legacy of the Magi. They brought gifts to honor and glorify God. They turned them over into the hands of those that were most eminently in need. They worshiped and adored Christ, and then they went back to their lives, to their homes, to their country, and they continued whatever their life's journey was there. We do not know their names. We honestly don't even know their faces in the scriptures. But their legacy has its own Sunday in the life of the church. But every Sunday is about Christ. And every day of our lives is about Christ in us. As we are transitioning, and perhaps you've already packed up your Christmas decorations and your nativities, perhaps they're already safely stowed away. That's fine. Leave them out to Epiphany next year. But this year, if they're already gone, may we be reminded that Jesus didn't stay in the manger in a stable. Jesus grew to have a home, a house, to have a city that he lived in, to have people, neighbors, grew to be an adult, grew to take his rightful place in God's plan to share love and salvation with the world. And even after all the nativities are gone, Jesus now resides in our hearts, in the depths of our spirits. So those of us that have become bearers of Christ to the world are able to offer that light, that same light that was glimpsed in the sky in the nativity star, that same light that illuminated the darkness of the world that was existing in depravity of sin and the evil that it gives birth to. That same Christ now lives in Christendom. And we have the opportunity to be lanterns, beacons, vessels of that light, and to share it, not only to let it shine to those that we know and love, but to those that we don't know and those that we think we don't love because God has never withheld the light from us.
even when we were unlovable and we didn't want to be known. God has continually given that gift, first in the presence of God the Father with God's people, then within the vessel of Jesus as God the Son, and now as God the Holy Spirit, not contained by physical space and not limited by the experiences and the conditions of a pandemic. We are those that shine the light wherever we are. We are living luminaries. And long after we put away the lights and the decorations of Christmas, may Christ shine in us through our words, the actions of our hands and our feet, and where we choose to go and whom we choose to love. May Christ always have room in our hearts and in our lives. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.